1: In this episode of Idea City On The Air, Diane Francis speaks about her personal experience with cancer. Now, let's join Moses as he welcomes his sister, Libby Snymer, who also survived cancer, to the stage to introduce Diane.
0: Well, it's come up twice uh, in the conference. The question was posed, how many of you know have had or know somebody who has cancer, and it was shocking to see almost every hand in the room go up. Uh, I asked the speaker yesterday, uh, how did we get here? Once upon a time, not too long ago, I would read that one in four would eventually succumb to cancer, then I read one in three, yesterday she said one in two, it's frightening, isn't it? Um, And I also spoke earlier today about my good luck, It, it seems to be. My sister Libby, on the other hand, inherited the BRCA2 gene, the BRCA gene, which eventually led her to confront breast cancer and all the things that went with it. So because of her direct personal experience, I've asked her to come out here and introduce our next speaker. Diane Francis. So this is Libby Snell.
2: So Moses asked me to introduce Diane. I think as a kind of counterpoint and actually we have a lot in common. We're both journalists. She of course is a preeminent journalist and author. She's from the generation ahead of me and was really a trailblazer both for women and for business reporting as a whole. She became the first woman editor of a national daily newspaper when she took the helm at the, national, at the Financial Post in 1991. I was very dismayed to find that we are both now actually members of another club, and that is the Cancer sisterhood and there's one really big difference in our experience and that is that Moses and my mother Haya had both breast and ovarian cancer so I always knew that I was at high risk even though I didn't realize the extent of the risk till it became a pretty harsh reality. Diane had no family history, she lived a healthy lifestyle and no symptoms So it was like a bolt out of the blue. And no symptoms, that's the reason that ovarian cancer is often called the silent killer. And so is the other cancer that I was diagnosed with almost exactly two years after the first one, and that was pancreatic cancer. And unfortunately, pancreatic cancer is still almost always a death sentence. And at that time, we were at the very beginning of personalized medicine, which means that your treatment or your drug is tailored to the genetic makeup of your cancer, as opposed to just the body part that it happened to invade. And I was very lucky that because of that I was able to get an appropriate drug that targeted my problem. It was not the drug that I was really hoping to get, more on that later, but it was a drug targeting the BRCA gene. And again, a little bit of difference, uh, I had to go through two months of incredibly tough chemotherapy while we waited to see if uh, the drug shrank the tumour enough to allow me to have the surgery that is the only possible way to cure pancreatic cancer. They found that the tumour had shrunk. My doctors had actually never seen that before. And I got ready for the surgery, which was called a Whipple, six and a half hours. They took a quarter of my pancreas, half my stomach, a whole pile of small bowel, and then kind of reconnected it all together. And as I said, I thought thought that was the record, but uh, Diane's surgery took 11 hours. When I was receiving chemotherapy, There was a whole new class of drugs called PARP inhibitors, and everybody was very excited about them, especially for the kind of mutation that I had, and I wanted to move heaven and earth to get that drug. And I couldn't get it. It was experimental. My doctor at the time was the chief at Princess Margaret Hospital. He couldn't get it. Uh, Now these drugs are approved. They're not necessarily covered in all cases. And uh, when I was chatting with Diane, she was telling me how grateful she is that she is able to afford it. And that struck me as a really nice note of grace to be grateful in the midst of all this loss. And the thing about preparing to introduce her is that it, it kind of brought it all back to me. Not so much the details, which I'll never forget, but, but the feeling of it. It's like the anxiety followed by hope and nausea. I, those things don't really come to the surface naturally anymore because in a few weeks, it will be 11 years since my diagnosis. Thank you. So uh, Diane Francis, my message to you is, it's going to get better.
3: (laughs) So I was here a year ago on stage debating about the high-tech world, artificial intelligence with Peter Diamandis, and I'm sure many of you saw that. It was a great event, lots of fun, lots of sparks flew. At that point in time, I had some bloating but I didn't think much of it, it wasn't that uncomfortable, but I went to the doctor anyway during the conference. I was also busy preparing to go to Ukraine, where I've been 30 times. Ukraine is one of the beats that I've adopted as a journalist. It is to me, Ukraine's struggle is is the struggle against Vladimir Putin. It's the line in the sand. If he continues to be stopped, much less pushed back over his border there, we've won the biggest battle in the new Cold War 2.0. So it's always been of interest to me. And so I was making arrangements to go for a couple of weeks, and I was going to go uh, with five special forces uh, soldiers. We were going to get on an armored vehicle. I was going to wear a flak jacket, boots, learn how to use an AK-42, and we were going to the Russian front. So I was very excited about it. And I was looking forward to it. So four days after Idea City was over, I went to my doctor's office and I got the dreaded diagnosis and she said, you have stage three ovarian cancer. And I said to her, that's a death sentence, right? She said, not anymore. But we gotta get moving quickly. So fortunately we have a terrific medical system in Canada while I've railed and ranted against government expenditures, I've never touched education and health, ever. Because we have one of the best systems, both of them in the world. Coming up after the break. And I said, you know what, get it out. I want it out. Let's get it out.
1: Welcome back to Idea City On The Air. You're listening to Diane Francis speak about surviving cancer.
3: I had the doctor's appointment and he sat down and he explained, okay, we have two options here. He said, you can either have a big radical surgery first and chemo afterward, or you can have big chemo first and a smaller surgery afterward. And I said, you know what? Get it out. I want it out. Let's get it out. So he said, okay. Now he said, the only reason I've offered you these two options is because you're in such good physical condition. I played, walked, or swam for decades, every day. I did one of the other three, every day. I slept nine hours a night, I'm a champion sleeper. I ate reasonably healthily. And stress, I learned how to manage very well. So I just went about my business, I had to cancel all my arrangements in Ukraine, which I was very upset about. Then came the, the surgery, and the night before I slept 14 hours, like a baby. No anxiety. Like I must be a simpleton or something, I thought. What is going on here? I'm not, this is not about heroic, this is just the way it was. And the surgery, we went into surgery, and then what followed, and the doctor also said, we're gonna do the surgery, most people would not be able to do the surgery we're gonna give you, we're gonna throw, throw the, you're gonna be hit by a bus. And he said, and by Christmas Eve, this is June 25th, by Christmas Eve, you will be cancer free on a CAT scan. Because we'll do the surgery and we'll do the chemos and boom. That was a pretty nice diagnosis, forecast, I thought. Couldn't take it to the bank. And that's another thing I never afforded myself. I never said, what if I don't make it? Well, what What if, what if? I, did, I, did ne- I never even went to that place, that dark hole. I never went down that dark hole. And I wasn't optimistic and I wasn't pessimistic. So we went to the operation, 11 hours. And here's something very synchronicity weird, is the day I went through that operation at Toronto General Hospital was the day I was going to get on that armored vehicle and go to the war front. Strange. Both were risky. So I guess because I was willing to do that journalistically, the surgery was, well, this is what we have to do. So I went through it, and I got to say, it was seven months in duration, and I love the, the, the word I like to use for what I went through or anybody goes through is the Spanish word calvario, from Calvary, the ordeal and trial of your life. And that's what it is. And it was, you know, very strange to go through it, but I had no pain, I had no pain. I had no nausea, I had no nausea. I heard the horror stories, I never had that. And I had no depression. My husband and my kids kept saying, Mom, you gotta see a psychiatrist, you wanna see a psychiatrist, you wanna see a... I said, no. I said, I am not depressed. I may seem down to you because you know what I am? I'm resolved. I'm resolved. I've got, you know, seven months, every day to get through something, and it wasn't always pleasant. I'm not saying I didn't have discomfort, but I said I've got to get through every day. I woke up every day, okay. I'd say to my nurse, what are, what's on today? Were they gonna hurt me at 10 or at 12? Do I have to have another stupid test at two or what? Or can I sleep? Or well, what's up? And then, you know, as, as I likened it, I, I was put back, in. I, I had to go, I was rushed to emergency eight times after my operation. I had two subsequent smaller surgeries. It was not fun. But, you know, you just I would just say, okay, we have to go to emergency. Okay, okay, let's do that. All right, and I'd get in there and I'd say, oh, I like, I like emergency because they have warm blankets. Yeah. So give me two at a time. <laughs> so you just learn to find little stupid things. Or I have the nurse, I'd send a nurse or my husband, who was wonderful, and I'd say, you know, go down to the deli and get me something, you know. I didn't feel like eating very much, but so you get through it a day at a time, just a day at a time, and it's resolve. And I had a couple of journalistic friends visit me on month three, and I was back in the hospital again because my fever had spiked, and they rush you in in case you have a you have a problem, um, an infection, and and they sat there, and I said. Gals, you know what I'm going through? I just figured it out. You know, being a writer, you're trying to analyze. I said, here's the metaphor. I'm John McCain. I'm in here. For how long, I don't know. And I don't know what they're going to do to me today or tomorrow or next week. I don't know if they're going to hurt me or make me feel better or what's going to happen. I don't know the tenure. I'm in a prisoner of war. I'm a prisoner of war camp. And that's actually kind of, that helped me sort of break through and, and stop thinking any other thoughts about what I was going through. This is what I had to do, it was my Calvario, and on with it. So sure enough, by Christmas Eve, I had my CAT scan after six rounds of chemo. And I, uh, I was, I was cancer free. I'm a lucky girl. Now the cancer, as Libby said, I I didn't have a genetic proclivity toward it. Nobody in my family had had cancer. I had what they call a sporadic cancer experience. So it's probably a stem cell that was trying to stop growth of something rather in my ovaries. And they just, there was no repressor. So what that meant was, and this was strange, so I wanted to have my, my blood test genetically tested because I have two children. I have two grandchildren I have a sister. And if I'd had the genetic problem, then they had to be tested and they might have it. So they did the blood test, that came back nothing. So I said, well, you know what, cancer's a sniper. That's what cancer is, it's a sniper. And in my case, it was. So then, after it was all done, the the treatment, I think I'd finished my last chemo like in a matter of two weeks. The doctor called us on a Sunday afternoon and says, I have good news. I said, what do you mean? He said, Canada and the United States just approved the PARP inhibitor for BRCA. And I said, well, I don't have a genetic mutation. He said, your cancer does. I said, well does that mean my kids have to get tested? He said, no, the cancer has it. You don't have it. And this pill is now available, and the results, this is the home run of meds. I've been practicing medicine for decades. This is the home run. We've all been hoping for. And basically it hunts down, as Libby was saying, it hunts down every cancer cell that I have still in my body, despite chemo and despite radical surgery, and it dismantles the RNA, so it can never reproduce. It destroys the cell. Theoretically, if you take it long enough and you don't have too many cells, you're gonna get rid of it altogether. And it's, it's quite remarkable, and my doctor and I are trying to talk to AstraZeneca to get them to lower the price because unless you have a resurgence of cancer, you can't get this pill covered under OHIP, and it is prohibitively, so it's the only side effect I can't stand is the cost. <laughs> but I'm lucky enough to be able to afford it. So that's where it is. So I want to give you some advice and some hope. And the hope is that, and I'm an inveterate researcher, and I don't have any definitive information, but I gotta tell you that Doctors that I've talked to, including my surgeons, said that if I'd had this five years earlier, I wouldn't have made it. But the most important thing, because it's a sniper, you've got to do one thing. You, the only thing you can do, and I, I think less than 5% of cancers are genetic, the only thing you can do is be healthy and take care of yourself. If I hadn't been athletic, and had good sleepers, you know, had good sleeps all my life, and been able to manage stress reasonably well, they wouldn't have given me that operation. I wouldn't have had that operation. They wouldn't have done it. People would not have survived an 11-hour operation unless you were in really good, good shape. And I was 71 at the time. So I think that the outcomes, the research I see is that the outcomes for many cancers have really improved. Hopefully this PARP inhibitor, which is now being tested uh, on other forms of cancer, are gonna do the same thing and get that cancer amount down in the bloodstream as it's done with me. Hopefully it continues to work for me, but there's no guarantee. And that's where the other advice comes in put one foot in front of the other the rest of your life. Thank you. Did I do good?
1: Thanks for listening to Idea City on the Air. Catch Moses Nymer's Idea City Conference live every June in Toronto. Or on regularly scheduled radio and TV shows throughout the year. And find hundreds of talks online every day at ideacity.ca. For more information about Idea City, find us online at ideacity.ca, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube.com slash Ideacity.